Today, we're going to talk about dealing with dissensions in God's family. How many of you are in God's family? Everybody, right? We are all in God's family. And dealing with dissensions is not a very good thing. You know, disagreements, arguments, this, you know, uh, conflict. Well, I think we need to commit this time to the Lord, shouldn't we? Let's pray. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father God, we want to commit into your hands every single one of my dear brother and sister who's here, Lord God, who are called by name, Lord God. You call them every son and daughter. And Father, as they come before your presence, I pray that you speak to them, Lord God. Speak to them as you would, not as I would, Lord God, for I'm mere channel of your words, Father. But you speak to them, Father God, that as you speak, Father, I add not a single word, nor do I subtract one away, Father. Lord, I commit this time into your hands. And as I pray this in Jesus' name, all of God's people say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Well, every family has dissensions or are dis agreements, arguments. Even so, in God's family, from the young to the old, from children to parents, husband and wives, even among siblings. When God set His family on earth, when Jesus began to set up His church, He likened it to a bride that is set apart, that is sanctified and prepared for the day when she will be recognised as being ready for the return of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Himself, to take her hand in marriage. We are like that. We are the bride of Christ. We are still imperfect. We have not reached the place. We are being sanctified daily. We are being set apart. But we have not reached the place where Jesus will say, I have returned now. I'm ready to take you in marriage. So, very much so, the family of God, as represented by the church here, remains flawed. Some have said that families are like Cadbury almond chocolate. How many of you have eaten Cadbury almond chocolate? Only a few. My, you don't like sweets. My goodness, this church don't like desserts, huh? Or you've taken some other brand, you don't like Cadbury, right? You've tasted chocolate with nuts in it. They say families are like that. Like those type of chocolate. Mostly sweet with a few nuts. But, but on many occasions, there are ample reasons to rejoice because reconciliations come by. Reconciliations come by. And when, the, when, when these disagreements happen, and when there is reconciliation, the family bonds are strengthened. The longer these disagreements are unresolved, the greater the joy at the reconciliation. The greater the reconciliation, the stronger will be the family bonds and unity subsequently. Amen? That is exactly what happens in the months leading up to this event. We are standing here at the brink of a very great event expectation, the chasm, a sort of a gap between something very great that's going to happen. We had Pastor uh, Julius Subi who will come, who have taught us upon breaking blood guilt, the, the sins of our forefathers. Then we have the 40 days prayer and fasting. In the midst of it, there was the Ranao rally and then the Kuching rally. So now we are fresh off the Kuching rally, which happened only last week. And today seems to be a special weekend, don't you think? I sense it as a special weekend. I don't know about you. And I want to share from God's Word that God has something in store for us. Amen? God has something in store for us. And in a short while, I'm going to share to you something about what God has done. As I was saying, in the weeks leading up to the Sarawak rally, there were many, many events that were happening. And it climaxed last weekend at Malam Pentecostal 2019. It wasn't just the sheer mega numbers of the people coming, nor the, the sheer scale of the production, nor the powerful messages that were shared by the pastor, nor was it just 
the signs and wonders, the amazing signs and wonders that God has brought about, like holy cleansing of the haze over there, and even the healing and the deliverances that happened. Each one by itself indeed brought glory to the Lord Jesus. But the sum total of it was that God was glorified by the unity of the people, the missing disagreement amongst all the people who were there. It was really amazing. Those who went, they agree, right? The pastors went, oh, even the leaders, the members who went. Some of you put up your hands this time when Pastor uh, uh, Jeffrey was asking who went. You saw it with your own eyes. 30,000 people the second night, 21,000 the first night. In one unison, they listened to God's Word speaking. Amen. It was a powerful event. It was really a powerful event. But God was mostly glorified by the settling of the differences of the disagreements amongst the tribes and the races and the churches that were there in Sabah. And sorry, that were there in Sarawak. To put it in the word of Pastor Philip Mantofa, the Greater Mawa Sharon speaker and our E16 speaker, he said this, in all my years of ministry, I've never seen that so many leaders of the churches being brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. It was this settling of differences through prayer and repentance that led to unity. It was amazing. It was the work of God. I'd just like to show you a few, let, uh, a few images. These are some slides, the shots that we took. This happened days before the Malam Pentecost. My pastor Lee Chu led a group of prayer warriors, some of whom are here, including young adults who were there. And they brought together leaders of the Iban and they prayed together, seeking forgiveness from one another, what the Chinese did to the Ibans and the Ibans races did to the Chinese. And they knelt down and they prayed together in repentance and they sought forgiveness for the races in Sarawak. Even way before that, Simon Imang, one of our own church brother who's seated right here, and I ask his permission if I could share this. Praise God. You know, he's the husband of Pastor Susie. He felt that even, he, he comes from a tribe of the Kayans, and he felt there was a spiritual stronghold over his tribe. And he felt that this, this was something that needed to be resolved. The Holy Spirit prompted him. And then he did some research. He looked into the various the websites and looked for the other tribe called Turings. And he knew through his research that there was blood shed between these two tribes. They were warring tribes. And somewhere in the past, the Kayans slaughtered almost entirely the Turing's the tribe. And he felt that he had to seek forgiveness. And he called out, he sought several names, and he called several people. And one of the Christian brothers he called said, yes, I, I, I'm interested. The Holy Spirit also prompted him to do something like this, to seek reconciliation. And when they came together at this place called Long Pila, which is Pastor si sorry, Pastor Pula, prophetic, I hope, <laughs> Simon's hometown, they came together to pray and he found out that he was the president of the Turing's Association. There were few Turing's left, but he is the president of the Turing's Association. What better person to reconcile between the Kayans and the Turing? They didn't only just pray and sought forgiveness from one another. They went to this place called the Valley of Slaughter, where the actual bloodshed took place, where the Turing's were almost wiped out. They did communion there. And I actually had a recording when I, when I heard the recording. I almost was brought to tears myself. They prayed on behalf of all the tribes who fought against one another in Sarawak and they sought forgiveness. Therefore, the blood shed that was shed and they took communion and the blood of Jesus that avails for all, availed for them. And they used the communion too to cleanse the land. Praise God. Praise God for this reconciliation that went down generations. 
And Pastor Gilbert was there. I didn't have a slide. He was there. And he's good at sensing things. He felt there was a shift in the spiritual atmosphere, even from July onwards. Then came the night of the Pentecost star, 2019. You see the leaders who are up there in the grandstand. That is the Roman Catholic Bishop of Sarawak. Next to him is the Anglican Prelate. Next to him is the head of SIB in Sabah, Dustin Justin, Dato Justin Wan. Next to him is the Methodist minister, the chief of the Methodists, the Baptists, the Chinese churches. They were all lined up there. They were worshipping God together. They were holding hands when he sung and towards the end of the altar call. They were indeed united by not just the event itself, by God. The coming together of these leaders is not man-initiated. Neither could it be brought together by men. Even later on, when there was an altar call, when the, the youths were called forward to the altar call, they came forward, people of different races, different tongues, the Chinese, the Ibans, the Dayas, the Bidayus, the Kayans, the, every one of them came up. There were hundreds and thousands of them that came up and they came under the power of the Holy Spirit. They were all hungry for God. Even when those who came for healing, they were, he in fact, the, the, the event started at 7 p.m. last Saturday and at 7 p.m. on Sunday. By as early as 3-something, people were coming in. At 4 o'clock, the, the prayer team, the healing team led by Pastor Fergus were praying for the people. They were praying for those who uh, adult children who brought their elderly parents. There were younger parents who brought even the younger children along and they were praying and they were praying and they were praying for hours and hours until the sermon started. And then after the sermon, they were praying again. And you know what? God was pleased with the unity and the com coming together of the people, not just because of the prayer. Nothing, not a single prayer from Pastor Fergus, from me, from anybody would have made a difference if not, if God weren't pleased. And He poured forth His anointing and His favour upon the people. And there were the people who were healed. If you keep the slides on, please. There were the people who were healed. And this one is Madam Tan, who had pains in her knees. Look at the joy on her face. She came in hobbling and she could walk and dance around when the worship started. Next to them were this couple. The lady is Riva and she had blurred eyesight. And after the prayer, she could see again clearly. She could read the words on the screen. Next to him is Jillian. He had pain in his locked knees. And when he was prayed, he could get up and he could also have a clearer vision. And there was this couple who had deafness in the ears. And after praying, they could hear clearly. This is but these are only just a few examples. And there was God, please, as in Psalm 133, when His people come together in unity, there He commands His blessings upon the people. There was an anointing over the whole. And last, I didn't mention that. Even after prayer, this boy, his name is Sebastian. He is only about five years old, four years old. Yeah, five years old, that's right. And from year one of his life, he is struck by a genetic disorder, muscular dystrophy. Not only him, his brothers too. None of them could walk. And his parents were distraught when they brought him. After prayer, he's standing up on his own. Before that, he could only walk one or two steps. He was running around with his parents. It's amazing. Indeed, God deserves the glory and praise. This is a real life event that happened just one week ago. Praise God. Praise God for that. It is anointing that not only happened in Sarawak, but it is anointing that each one of those volunteers who went, they saw with their own eyes and they can verify that this happened. And we have photos, we have videos, we documented it. And this is God working His mighty work. Across the board, people from all walks of life, believers, pre-believers, Chinese, Bumis, non-Bumis, rich, poor, the sick, the healthy, 
all of them sacrificed and made an effort to come to Padang Jubilee in Kuching. And as they came together in expectancy, in humility, and in submission to what God has to do, God was glorified in so many ways and through unity amongst His people. But from a state of citywide anointing that God has poured forth on the land, we shall see that it is also essential, if not primarily important, vital to realize this unity in God's family with dealing with dissensions. This has to be dealt with. So we see it happen in Sarawak. It could very well happen in our own midst and it's so important that it happens in our own midst. In our study of Gospel of Matthew, so far we have already been halfway through, we discovered that in Matthew 16, God was assembling His church. Jesus was assembling His church. And in Matthew 16, it was founded upon Peter's proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But what is the church? The church is neither a building built with cement or wood. Neither is it an organization ruled by a sovereign authority. It is the ecclesia or the church, which refers to a body or a community or a group of people, which is you and me. That's what the church is. And it is about people living in a community that loves and cares for one another as part of God's family. As family relationships matter greatly in any family, in building His church too, Jesus teaches about them. Therefore, now in Matthew 18. So today I'm going to share with you from Matthew 18 about the essential characteristics of God's church. That leads towards the de dealing with the dissension and hence by dealing with the dissension, we achieve unity. The same unity that brought about God's delight and pleasure. That brought about the anointing that came over Sarawak. I believe that many of us who have been there would carry the same anointing back to SIBKL. Amen? I'm sharing from the first part, from verses 1 to 20, that deals with these dissensions. And then afterwards, Pastor Chu will speak on the second and third service to deal with verse 21 onwards. I'm going to share from verse 1 to 17 in three short sections as Jesus dealt with his dissensions among the disciples, namely, in terms of dealing with dissensions of position, jostling for position, personal sins, and pursuing own agenda. Can you repeat that after me? One, two, position, personal sins, and pursuing own agenda. And then I'm going to close with verses 18 to 20. Is that all right with you? Right. Let's start by reading from Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. I'm not going to put it up on the screen, all right? I'm sure many of you have your electronic Bibles with you, or you brought your Bible along. Let's read it together, shall we? Okay, let's turn to our Bibles. Matthew 18, verse 1 onwards. 1, 2. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Hallelujah. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is a question that's often asked by his disciples, not by Jesus. And Jesus had to deal with this throughout his ministry. In fact, over his three years of ministry, there were many times it recorded in the Scripture that his disciples would jostle with one another for position, wanting to be the greatest. They wanted to know the success formula of how to rise to the top, how to be seated at Jesus' right or left hand. But Jesus had to remind them time and again of the answer to this question. All the more so, even in the very last few days before his crucifixion, in a very poignant moment where he stooped down to wash the feet of his disciples, Jesus was once again reminding them to put on humility. To be like the little ones, the children that had no standing in society. He wasn't telling them to behave like children, not, not to be childish, but to be like a child, dependent on those who are around them, and yet serving others. During the Malam Pentecostal 2019, the leaders of the denomination were called to go on stage. As they went on stage, as they went on stage, Pastor Philip prayed for them. And there was moments in between the prayers, he knelt down and he wiped their feet with his handkerchief, symbolizing what Jesus did for his disciples in those last moments of what we call the Last Supper. And when they did that, and as he prayed for them, they all, almost all of them, came under the power of the Holy Spirit. And when they became aware of the surroundings, some of them just sat up and wept like little children. Others just knelt down and worshipped God. These men and women of God, men of high position, respected, and watched by 30 over 1,000 people, were reminded of Jesus' humility, where they themselves were humbled before God. How does this relate to us? I mean, they are high founding leaders of the church and, and we are just members of a church here. Well, as Jesus' disciples, we are reminded to put on Jesus' nature of humility. As Jesus did himself, he reminds us that we are not to jostle for position of leadership. And also when we relate to one another, we are to relate to one another as he did, like a shepherd who looks after the sheep too. Jostling with one another leads to dissension within God's family, and dissension leads to disunity, a withholding of God's favour towards all quarters. It is not about position always, but always about posture, a posture of humility. I repeat, it is never about position, but always about posture. This is especially so when we minister in, in the ministries and when we serve in the ministries, as compared when we serve in the cells. When we serve in the ministries, we find that sometimes as we serve in the, especially the prominent ministries, we get accolades when we do something very well. And the tendency there, the temptation there, is to receive these accolades and think, hey, we have done very well. But, all, but not so when you compare it with the cells. Every cell leader can tell you, or even the core leaders will tell you, they are absolutely happy when they get no complaints. And it's not about receiving accolades. And it's, and, and it's really wonderful. So therefore, these cell leaders, the cell leaders that are amongst us, and even those who are serving in the ministries quietly, 
They are the ones who are the unsung heroes amongst us. And SIBKL is a church that has leaders that will serve and not jostle for position. Amen? Let's give God glory for these leaders who are here. Many of you are here as leaders. You know, LA7, our leaders advance 2019 is coming. And you know how many are registered or invited to come? There are about 700 who are supposed to come. You know, 700 forms about how many percent of our church? We have about 35 or 100 or about 3,500 attending every weekend. That forms about 20%. 700 forms about 20% of our church. And they are leaders. 20% of our church members are already leaders, let alone the rest of you who are also serving. You know, amongst so many churches, God's favour is indeed upon SIBKL. We have got almost about 40 to 50% serving the other half. Almost one out of every one of you, one of you is serving the one seated next to you in this church. Praise God for such a wonderful culture and a wonderful presence and attitude that we have in our church here. But we should be aware too that this attitude of humility doesn't only happen on weekends or only during church services. All the more important, we should put on this nature of Christ's humility when we go out to deal with the world outside there. All the more when in your business dealings, when you deal with your, 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 your business partners, how do you deal with them? Do you deal with them in humility? What about your work colleagues and also your employers as you offer back your service onto your employers? Even... If you are a business owner, the business owners amongst us, how do you deal with your staff? Do you deal with them in humility? You want to hear more on this? Come for the second or third service. Pastor Chu is going to deal with it from verse 21 onwards on unforgiveness. Then Jesus goes on to say in verse 5, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. He encourages us to take on the nature even of a child who is the lowest in the hierarchy in society. A child that's willing to serve, not entitled to be recognised and willing to be obedient and be submissive. You think about it. In our society that's fast-moving, in so many people that posture themselves, you know, the might is great, you know, humility is something to be discarded. You think it's possible? You think it's possible to do that? Why not? Why not? After all, Jesus, the one whom we call Lord and Master, He Himself did that. He is someone who has lowered Himself into such a position that it is almost inconceivable. None of our friends who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ can even bring themselves to, to imagine God, who is so great, could bring Himself to be lowly in countenance. I always like to dwell upon this part when Paul himself when he reflected upon what the Lord Jesus did in his some epistles, epistle to the Philippians. He wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. And let's read it together. It reminds us of Christ's nature. Shall we? Let's read it together. It's on the screen. One, two. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, 
being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing. Imagine God lowered Himself to be like human. The gap is so wide. How about you lowering yourself to be like a child? The gap is only that much. Wow. If Jesus could do that, what's it to us to lower ourselves to be like a child, to take on the nature of a child? Amen? Jesus was the ultimate in humility. While He was fully God, He became fully man. Could we not just lower ourselves just a little bit lower than our brother or sister and regard him or her a little bit higher? C.S. Lewis used to say, right, that we, we, it is not thinking of ourselves less, but thinking less of ourselves. We tend to bandy that verse around a lot, but sad to say, not many of us really put it into practice. We really need to regard our brother or sister that little bit higher, like a child would look up to an adult. Amen? You see how the leaders were humble in Sarawak. You see how every one of us, one of the key things that Pasli Chu warned, or rather coached us, all of us, 700 of us, in fact, there's one key word, one word only that Pasli Chu, I think in the briefing, the last day, you all remember what that one word was? Can you tell me? Submission, exactly. Just one word, submission. No questioning of anything. Even if you don't, you don't agree with that, it's just that submission that brought about delight, such great delight in God's presence. And God just poured forth, lavished His compassion, His love, His mercy onto the people that night itself. Submission. But while Jesus was lowly in countenance, He was also a servant of all. When James and John were jostling with each other and amongst the other disciples wanting to sit at Jesus' right hand, wanting to be Jesus' right hand man, you know, so to speak, hey, dude, you know, I'm the top man here. They wanted to be that, backed up by their mother too, Salome. Well, then during the time in Matthew 20, which we'll study later, Jesus reprimanded them, no, this is a cup that you cannot bear, but even if you were to bear it, remember that the, this is what he said in Matthew 20, verse 28, that the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So for anyone who wants to jostle, to want to be at the top with the Lord Jesus Christ, be prepared to give your life for others and to be a ransom for many. The leadership style of Jesus is one of servanthood leadership, not of one who lords it over all. And I thank God, and I thank God that every leader, as far as I could see, almost every leader that in SIBKL serves with the same style. We put on the nature of Jesus' humility and we serve in a servanthood leadership. We praise God. Thank you, leaders. You really give God glory. You really honour God by serving in such a way. Amen? Praise God. For Thank God for the leaders. Come on. The leaders who are here. Many of you are seated among here and thank you for serving the Lord and the church, God's family, in such a way. From talking about position, Jesus goes on to talk about personal sins. He talks about it in Matthew 18, verses 6 to 9, and then subsequently from 15 to 17. I deliberately skipped this 
verses from verses 10 to 14 in this part, and you will understand why later. So shall we read then from verses 6 to 9, and then verse 15 to 17. One, two. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the little things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. I only hear the pastors reading with me. <laughs> it's either you don't have a Bible or you don't have it on your tablet. Can you read together, shall we? After all, God's word, faith comes through hearing and hearing through God's word, the word of God. Come on, let's read together from verse 8 onwards. One, two. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Let's stop there for a while. Let's skip to verse 15 and read to verse 17. And this is another perspective on which Jesus is telling us about how to deal with sin in the church. Verse 15, 1, 2. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Wow, strong words indeed. When Jesus said to build his church, she was meant to be like a bride, engaged, and preparations made towards marriage. She is to be set apart for Him, holy and undefiled. Holy, not as in spiritual holiness, but as in not common. Holiness in Greek means hagios, set aside, apart from the common. The one main thing that would cause her to be defiled, to be tainted, or to be made common, would be the corruption of her individual parts in God's family. Corruption as in tolerance of sin within God's family. What's so great about it, you would ask? Why can't a little bit of sin, I mean, after all, we tend to tell lies to one another, can't sin be tolerated? As much as viruses and bacteria, I'm sorry, but I have to bring this in, you know. My my, my misspent adulthood, you know, in that, in the medical background. So, we have, you know, one of the biggest battles that the medical fraternity has is to battle against bacteria and viruses. Why? Because they are the physical contaminants. They not only infect an individual and leads to death, but it also latches on to the next individual. It is highly infectious, especially viruses. And even some viruses like Ebola there, or even the HIV virus there's absolutely no cure for it. And when it latches on, it doesn't only go on to one. One leads on to the other, and sooner or later, the whole community gets infected. Sin is a spiritual contaminant within God's family. It does the same way. 
It starts with the one person and then it breaks down within the person and then it latches on to the next and the next until the whole community within God's family is affected. That's why Jesus goes on to say that it is a person that causes another to stumble. It's better for him to be drowned than to cause another to stumble or to fall into sin. You know, during the Ebola outbreak in Africa, there are many medical workers who knew that the risks that are involved. And some of them, while they were treating the patients, they themselves were infected with the Ebola virus. When they found out, what did all of them do? They went back to the family, they continued to say goodbye to the children. No, they isolated themselves from their family, from the rest of the community, because they know that this virus could easily pass on to others. And they continued serving the patients until they themselves were infected and they died. That is why Jesus used the strong language that if you were to cause someone else to stumble, if you were to infect someone, if you were to cause someone else to fall into sin, it is better that you die yourself first. And these medical workers understood the same concept that it is better for them to serve and to die and to give up of their own lives rather than to go out and infect others. But Jesus also goes on to say that being crippled is also better off than to tolerate sin in one's life. There is a bacteria called Clostridium perfringens. It is the gangrene bacteria. You know what's gangrene, right? You know what's gangrene, the horrible black thing that sometimes affects a finger or a, a, a leg. And then, what, have, what are you going to do when you get gangrene? You cut it off, you amputate. You no choice. When a sin creeps into a person's life, it is like Clostridium perfringens. It just eats away bit by bit until that part cannot be recovered. And you have no choice. You have to cut it off. In order to survive, you have to cut it off. You'll be crippled. You'll be maimed. That's why Jesus says, it's better for you to be crippled or to be maimed than to have sin in your life. That's another perspective for looking at it. What is in the natural reflects what's in the supernatural. Jesus was teaching a lesson way before science has discovered all these things. And it is a principle that applies to us too. That if you tolerate sin within God's family, it will infect the next individual, it will infect the whole community. And given God's total abhorrence to sin, God is the perfect physician. He knows and He battles against this spiritual contaminant that's within His people, God's people, God's family. So it is not surprising for Jesus to use such to have such a strong stand against the tolerance of sin within God's family. Paul, one of the foremost proponents of Jesus' teachings, and he wrote part, a large part of the New Testament, has this to say when he wrote in this letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some of you who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. It is something that needs to be dealt with. Amen? But how do you deal with it, you ask? How do you get rid of personal sins? The same way you want to distance yourself from a cobra. Why a cobra? You know, a cobra is one of the deadliest snakes around. If you ask any snake handler, the milking the cobra for its venom, which is useful because it's an antidote for a lot of things. It's used as a very powerful medicine. But when you milk the venom, it's a very dangerous occupation. 
So, guys, never try it at home, okay? But the snake handler would tell you, many of them had been bitten before, but most of the bites take place not when they were trying to catch the snake, but when they are trying to release it. Why? Because when you, after milking the, the, the cobra for the venom, when you release the snake, you've got to let go of it completely, totally, rather than let go of the head, which you think that is the dangerous part, and you hang on to the tail. But if you do so, it will be, lead to inevitably a cobra bite that might be fatal. So the snake handlers know what to do. Similarly, the cobra is like the sin that's in each of our lives. When you let go of the head, it's like repenting of it. You know that it's dangerous. You want to ask God for forgiveness, but many of us still hang on to the tail. Because if you do not let go of the tail, it will come back to strike you with serious and dire consequences. So when we deal with sin, we have to forsake it completely. Stop it cold turkey. Repent of it. Ask God for forgiveness. Get someone, confess it, pray about it, and drop it like a hot potato. No turning back. And I assure you, the Holy Spirit will enable you to do that. Amen? He will enable you to do that. It's your commitment. It's your choice to do that. And I believe in this 40 days prayer and fasting, many of us would have received a breakthrough. Amen? I was just talking about we, are, we have just come to this part where we finish the 40 days prayer and fasting. And they will receive at the cost of a personal sacrifice. Many of you have sacrificed not just food, but you have sacrificed even doing your favorite things. But it wasn't just what you did that brought about a breakthrough. It's about the favor of God. He delights to give gifts to His children. It's purely the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, in my life that we receive this breakthroughs. So if you have received this breakthrough, don't stop it now. Keep at it. Keep at it. Don't stop it. But if you have not, don't give up because God is faithful. And I assure you, God is still working at it and He will bring it about in His time. Amen? The Lord is faithful and He will answer your prayers in due time. But however, more importantly, than just having out of desires of our heart being fulfilled, by God answering our prayers, it is more important to have pure heart and a clean hands, a clean hands and a pure heart. As the psalmist in Psalm 24 says, that he who has clean hands and a pure heart may ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in the holy place. What does it mean to ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in the holy place? That means you have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ to have a relationship with God that you can stand before God and say, God, I really love you. That you can ask God, that God, I'm asking you as a son, a daughter would ask a father. And I know you wouldn't be told it from me because you know that I ask, I'm asking it with a pure heart and I'm asking it with clean hands. That's exactly what it means. That that is even more important that when you have that right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Wow. I'm so glad I'm speaking to a group of people who are so like-minded in a church like SIBKL. Such a wonderful church, don't you think? Praise God for it. Praise God for it. You know, in the second part that we read just now, in verses 15 to 17, Jesus was teaching us how to deal with sin from an external perspective, from a leadership perspective. 
That means you are not the one who is committing the sin, but you're dealing with, dealing with it from someone who is a third party. The emphasis here, as, you, as we have read through, is on firm persuasion and the restoration. It's about firm persuasion of how you start off with gentle persuasion and then you go on to insist on it and speak to the brother or sister. And it's about restoration of the person to fellowship. It's not about excluding the person from fellowship. In verse 15, it says you have won them over in the NIV. In the NLT, it says you have won him back. In the ESV, it says you have gained your brother. It means that you have got back his confidence. You have got back his love. You have got back him into the communal fellowship. That's the emphasis on sharing with that brother through firm persuasion. It's never about judging the brother or punishing the person. It's never about that. So do, do, do remember, if we do happen to fall into sin and someone speaks to you about it, it's not about judgment. It's not about punishment. It's about the love of God, which you were gonna, we are going to share. I'm going to talk about it in just a very short while. It's about the love of God reaching out to you and saying, come back, come back to the full, come back to the full. That's the emphasis. And when the person is repeatedly unrepentant, then only and only then are stronger actions required. And when the person has totally been unresponsive and unrepentant, then even the strong action of being excluded from the fellowship of the church is even required. But time and again, every chance is given for reconciliation and restoration to fellowship should the person be repentant. And that is why Jesus sandwiched the parable of the wandering sheep in between his call to forsake all sin within God's family. That's the part that's within Matthew 18, verses 10 to 14. And let's read the part together. One, two. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that the angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about the one sheep than about this ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. That's the love of the Father. The little ones that Jesus referred to are His disciples, as He called them, to be like little children. It is not to, to make them like little children, but to not to think or even to behave like little children, but He likened to them that to take on the nature of a little child. It is also here that there's a reference that each one of Jesus' disciples has a guardian angel that watches over and protects over each one of us. Amen? In this passage, Jesus assures us of the Father's love and care for each one of His disciples, even the odd ones that wander away to pursue their own agenda. God will relentlessly pursue you and seek you out and continue to seek you until you return to Him. Amen? This does not mean that we are given the license to do as we like. It's almost as exactly like what Isaiah has prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. But we must never, never, ever forget that in order for us to return to the fold, 
God had to pay a tremendous cost in the sense of His Son, His only begotten Son that's given up. Because the second part of Isaiah 53 verse 6, verse 6 says, And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. God seeks us out as a shepherd seeks out the wandering sheep. But He paid the cost by having Jesus dying on the cross for you and me. Even in spite of a sin, how God deals with sin, He did not make us pay for it, but He made Jesus pay for it. Amen? And we are here, we are here in the midst of God's love. I'd like to tell you this one last story, if you allow me to. And it's this few days just before Malam Pentecostal 2019. Our young adults are really fantastic. You know, led by Pastor Aaron and Pastor Fergus and Pastor Isaac, they just went out into every part, not every, but most parts of Kuching. And as they went out into in, in Kuching, some of them were sent to some remote, unheard of place. As they were handing out the flyers, one silent-looking chap there says, can I have one? So he took the flyer and he looked at it. And then as he was looking at it, it started to engage him in conversation, ask him, you know, how are you, you know, all that. And they say, yeah, I, I'm used to be from a Christian family, he says, but I've never been to church at all. My mother is a Christian, but I've never been to church. And I got involved in crime. I was just released from prison three weeks ago. And in these few weeks, my mother was asking me, go for this Malam Pedis Costa, and here you give me a flyer for Malam Pedis Costa out of nowhere. You, of all people, flew all the way from Kuching, came to hear my kampong here and look for me and hand me a flyer. And then as he was telling that, they began to share with him about the love of Christ and he broke down and cried. And then, then he received the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a genuine conversion. Yes, give glory to God because it was God seeking out His Lordship. It was a genuine conversion because He turned up at Malam Pentecostal and our young adults are still following up with Him today. Praise God. This is the heart of a shepherd who goes after that odd sheep that have wandered off and bring him back to the fold. Some of us here may be bogged down by sin or even condemnation and just can't seem to get out of this rut. Prayers didn't seem to work. Fasting didn't make much change except to make maybe perhaps you thinner. But where is that breakthrough, O oh Lord? Where is that breakthrough that I ask for, Lord? But let me assure you, you may not see it, may not feel it, may not hear it, but God is already working behind the scene. Amen? Like this young man who knew nothing about Jesus Christ, God is already working behind the scene, sending out His angels, sending out His Spirit to your rescue. Amen? To answer your prayer, to set your feet on a solid ground, even as you are in a rut and you are in the mud that you can't get out of. As King David says in Psalm 40 verse 2, that you drew me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock. King David fell into sin with Bathsheba and he was certainly in shame and in self-condemnation and he couldn't get himself out but it was God who snatched him out and put him on a solid rock. And even King David, for someone to fall like that, God did not forsake him. God even established an everlasting kingdom that culminated in the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That is how Father God looks down at you and at me. He will not forsake you. He will not give you up. He loves you that intensely. Amen? It is His hazard, covenantal love that cannot be broken, that is inseparable 
We are in a covenant with God. And that love comes from one side of the covenant. Even if we break it on our side, God will not break His part of the covenant. Amen? It is a steadfast, loving kindness, covenantal loyalty that God has for each one of us who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Take this opportunity now. Take this opportunity to ride upon God's favour in His church, particularly us here in SIBKL. We have seen how God poured forth His compassion and His mercy upon the people of Sarawak when they came together in expectancy, in unity, in humility before God. And God just poured forth His anointing upon Sarawak. 50, almost 50,000 people. Yes, 50,000 people. 48.8,000, I, I thought there was a count. Almost 50,000 people received God's love and compassion and mercy. We who are here, the majority of church who has not gone, let's ride on this God's favour. Many of us have come back. 700 volunteers have come back. Let us share with one another. Let us pray for one another. Amen? Let's give God glory and thanks because God is in this house. That's what we sang of. The presence of God is here. Amen. The presence of God is here. Call upon the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you with these few verses in closing. It's the last part of the section that I'm going to share. Let's read it together. It's on the screen. One, two. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This authority that the Lord Jesus Christ has given unto those that He called His own, those that are within God's family, are only found in two places, two references in the Bible. One is after the proclamation of Christ, when we done, I think Pastor Isaac spoke about it, that when Peter proclaimed that Christ, Jesus is the Christ, then Jesus said this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bound, bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The other place where it is found in the Bible is here, that we just read. That when the church has dealt with sin within its midst, when it follows what Jesus says about dealing with sin, Jesus said the same thing. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is this to bind and to lose? Is it a spiritual binding of dark forces and, and, and all that? Yes, we tend to think of it, but the the, the, the root of it is found in the rabbinic teaching. When that, in Jesus' time when He said that, it refers to what is in God's Word and how you keep it, how you remain true to God's Word. In other words, what is permissible, what is impermissible, you know it. And God has given us the authority to declare what is permissible and what is impermissible first with the church and then to the world that's outside there. God has given each one of us that authority to declare that. And not only has He, only has he given us the authority, but together with the authority, He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to carry it out. Amen. And that is the encouragement that God gives us 
from His Word. That is the encouragement we see in real life that what God is doing right here, right now within the church, and not only within the church, that the church, by God's grace, is used of mightily to influence the nation. Amen? Amen. That is exactly what God is doing with us right here in SIBKL. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But not only that, in verse 19, there is this promise that Father God says, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. In a short while, we are going to close. And as we close, we're going to open the altar for those of you who want to be prayed for. You have seen, even through the photos, and those of you who were there, with your own eyes, that God answers prayers. Prayers of healing, prayers of reconciliation, prayers of those who come before the Lord in expectancy. Let's continue to seek God. Don't stop here. Don't stop here. Let's keep on making this the new norm. As I said, this, if you take it as normal, as the old, it will just be an event that has gone by. But don't stop here. And if you can afford to spend just the next few minutes, let's honour God. And let's honour each other by letting this time be sacred. And I would invite you to come forward. The same anointing that those hundreds, if not thousands, were healed in Sarawak, it's here. Those that prayed for them, that saw the healing by God with their own eyes are here. Many of them are leaders and they will pray for you. So if you have been asking for healing in yourself or somebody in your family, come, come. When as we sing the closing song, the power of your love, Lord, I come to you. I would like you to come forward and you come to this part and we will pray for you. We will ask God to heal. There are those who are seeking for reconciliation in family relationships amongst you. Come forward too. God is just waiting for you to have that posture of expectancy, that posture of submission. And maybe today is the day that God will answer your prayer. Those of you who've been praying for salvation for family members and you've been asking, Lord, why so long? Come, come forward. God wants to give you an answer. Or maybe you are the one who has been struggling with this issue. You're not a Christian yet, but people have been asking you to. And you've been sort of holding back. Today's the day. Because this moment, this Kairos moment may not come again for you. So I'm going to invite all of you to stand up. And we're going to sing the closing song. As we do, we're going to open the altar in front. I invite you to come. I invite you to come forward.
will be stripped away by the power of your love. Hold me close, let your love that seem to struggle with a doubt in our hearts. There are still some who may be up there. No one is too far from the Lord. If you are up there and you're sitting up there, all it takes is just a few steps down here. I invite you to come forward. The Lord Almighty, the Lord God Almighty, He's the same God everywhere. As He was in Sarawak, as He was in Kuching, as He was in Ranau, in, in Keningau, in Panampang, in Kudad, he, in E16, He's the same God who is here. Right now, today, God wants to do something special with you today itself. You have been waiting for Him all this while, and yet you're not sure. Come, we will pray with you. We will pray together with you. Not just for you, but with you. That today, if you have not experienced God's love before, He is here right now with open arms waiting for you and not only that like the shepherd who just goes out to look for that one sheep that one sheep that's just out there that is in the far corner he brings the sheep up he puts it upon his shoulder and his head lies against the shepherd's heart so they can hear the heartbeat of the shepherd that it is not one who is out to punish to judge or to condemn but he is one who is out to love you who is out to say that hey I've come for you to come back to come back to him to come back to him to come back to him hallelujah Lord God your spirit leads me on by the power of your love hallelujah Lord yes 
Some of you may not be coming out to the altar. I want you to pray for one another. Just in groups of two or three. But the Father, God has said, that when two of you are in agreement with one another, I will answer your prayer. So can you just turn, even to a friend or a stranger or a family member, if you come in a family, pray together. Just pray for one another. Let this be a time of ministry that strangers may become friends and friends may become stronger friends in God's family. Let's pray together and declare this moment as a holy moment offered unto the Lord. Let no one be left aside. Just pray together. Come together. Hold me close. Embrace me with your love. Lord, I pray, Father, that each one, no one will leave this sanctuary without having had a touch from you. That no one will leave, Lord God, without having experienced once again of your refreshing love, your hazard, covenantal love, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that no one, Lord God, will go out from this sanctuary and not carrying the fire, the flame of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that will go out there and set the world on fire. Hallelujah. Look around if you see someone standing alone. Go to that person and pray with that person. Brother to brother, sister to sister. Pray for one another. Even I see a couple who is out there in the congregation just hugging one another and giving each other a kiss. It's such a loving encounter that the Lord is restoring the love amongst each other, even among husband and wife, among family members, among members of God's church here in SIBKL. Minister to one another for we are all called to be royal priests. A holy nation. Hallelujah. While ministry is going on, I'm just going to close in prayer and I'm going to dismiss you. But for those of you who are here for the very first time, do avail yourself to join us at the hospitality and we would love to have a cup of coffee with you and perhaps to pray with you again. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you for your word that is ministered without hindrance. We thank you, Father, for every heart that is here that is knelt down before you, Lord God, in submission, in humility and expectancy of you, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that you are great God Almighty, that though great you are, you sent your Son, Jesus, though fully God became fully man to die on our behalf. Lord God, we thank you, Father. We pray that each one would experience the love of Father God as Jesus Himself, our one with the Father, and He carries the love of the Father to us. That the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ touch each one of us as we leave this sanctuary and we live with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with one and all until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people say, Amen. 
Haleluya. Haleluya.